Hello and welcome. This is Ron Cohen with another episode of our Tax Update Podcast. Today we're going to talk a little about limited liability companies, LLCs. They're not limited liability corporations. Most people get that wrong. We're going to talk about uh, the additional steps the IRS is taking about identity theft to combat it and about recent changes and updates as the IRS tries to fight micro reinsurance companies, micro captive insurance companies. Okay, a few caveats. First of all, please take no reliance on anything you hear on this podcast. Uh, Be sure, working with us or any other tax professional, that you lay out all the facts and figures of your situation. Have them uh, research it diligently. Make sure you're comfortable with the person you're working with before you use any advice on any transaction or put any numbers on a tax return. Sign it and send it in. Make sure you've uh, worked all that through. Secondly, uh, plagiarism. Well, I copy all the time from things I've read and heard. Uh, we take tax law from the Internal Revenue Code and regulations there under. And I try to give credit to uh, authors of articles we read, but we're not writing any novels here. Tax law and uh, tax practice is uh, very much a, an activity of plagiarism. Uh, so don't uh, think that you are hearing any original thoughts. Uh, thirdly, uh, no politics. There's other podcasts you can go to and listen to all day and night regarding politics. Uh, here we will talk about how sometimes political goals move towards certain tax legislation. Uh, then you can always give us a call at Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson and Company. Again, my name is Ron Cohen. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. And uh, we also have a website. You can look us over at the www. .groco.com. Okay, so with all that out of the way, let's go into LLCs, limited liability companies. So let me speak a little bit uh, from a California perspective. We're here in Fremont, California, about 40 miles south of San Francisco, about 15 miles north of San Jose. Um, And through the long history, most small businesses in the U.S. were set up as S-corporations for decades and decades. I think they came in in the 1950s. Because before that, you would have to set up a business either as a sole proprietorship, but that doesn't have limited liability protection. So if you wanted limited liability protection, as your lawyer would advise, you'd go and set up a regular corporation, a C corporation. Well, you know, that's a lot of work and board minute meetings and uh, board minutes and meetings for uh, board of directors and uh, special tax returns and, you know, C corporations, same as General Motors. So they finally came up with the fact that, well, we need something smaller for small companies. They came up with S-Corp, so you could be a, a corporation under your civil law with your state and use an S-Corporation return, a uh, little bit different rules, a lot easier to administer. But you were still a cor- corporation, and the lawyers we worked with and still do, you know, they would have shelves and shelves of corporate meeting bo- minute books, and all those corporations were having board meetings three times a year, and and they had to make sure all their Secretary of State filings were done and paid and all on time and up to date. And uh, sometime around mid-90s, I believe it was when Bill Clinton was the president, things uh, kind of evolved where, uh, first of all, the clients were complaining to the lawyers. Oh, my gosh, this is me, a little, little business I have with a friend, and 
We're incurring a lot of lawyer fees to set it up. We have an annual lawyer fees to make sure it's in good standing. And can't we do something different? So uh, here in California in the mid-90s, and it spread throughout the country. Uh, I don't know if California was the first state to adopt it. They came up with LLCs, limited liability companies. It is not a limited liability corporation. That is a great misunderstanding. People all around will say that's a limited liability corporation. No, it's not a corporation. It's a limited liability company under state law. And it's much, much easier. You may see your lawyer once in the whole life of that entity to set it up. Go in, talk to the lawyer, and uh, they uh, figure out who's who and who's going to do what, and write an operating agreement, file with the Secretary of State, pay a little fee, and boom, you're off and running. You have a limited liability company. You may never again go in and talk to your lawyer. <laughs> a lot of times the next time you talk to a lawyer when it's time to liquidate and dissolve the entity because it's run its course and the business didn't work out or maybe it did or, you know, but the whole intent was, and it does work successfully, the interaction with uh, uh, attorneys uh, who can be expensive, not, not uh, discouraging that at all, but uh, on an ongoing basis is greatly reduced, much simpler and you get what everybody wants is limited liability. So if the company goes bankrupt, they can't go, the, the, uh, the customers or whoever might sue uh, or whoever you might owe a debt to cannot go after your personal assets. That's what the uh, owners of the LLC want, as do the owners of an S-Corp or C-Corp. They want to be able to do business. Sometimes businesses don't work out. Sometimes they go bankrupt. Sometimes they get sued. And you don't want to lose your house and everything else you've worked for because you have a little company doing whatever it's doing. So you set it up in an LLC. And I won't get into a great, detailed, very uh, specific argument about whether limited liabilities have complete liability protection. Similar to corporations, uh, there are arguments that sometimes in certain circum circumstances, the limited liability of an LLC can be pierced uh, and that uh, they can get to your uh, personal assets, but that's lawyer stuff. Don't don't ask me. But the vast majority of times, and everything I've seen, it works just fine. Uh, even when the company's gone bankrupt, uh, you just uh, settled up, um, paid all the assets out. Sometimes the judge is involved with the bankruptcy court, and the LLC would end, and that's the end of it. Okay, so you have this limited liability company, and there's a lot of things. Uh, the California, uh, when this was going on in the 1990s. The legislature said, wow, all these people who have S-Corps might uh, change and become limited liability companies. Well, in California, an S-Corp pays a 1.5% income tax on net income. Uh, um, and the legislature and the tax authority said, we're going to lose that money. So they took a good thing, which was a limited liability company, and turned it into sort of a bad thing. Because the first thing they did was say, well... Your limited liability company has to pay the California $800 minimum tax, basically, with a few exceptions I won't get into here. Almost any kind of legal entity owes an $800 minimum tax, If even if they have losses. doesn't matter. It's just that's the cost of having limited liability in the state of California. But when they saw that uh, a lot of folks would, oh, well, they'll, they'll end their S-Corp, they'll dissolve it, they'll move it into an LLC, they'll pay the $800 minimum tax, and they'll get rid of the 1.5% net income tax. We got to do something. So they came up with a, a series of proposals. Um, uh, w one was found to be unconstitutional. People got big refunds after paying it and then waiting. And I remember a client, we waited five years and uh, they got a big check from the state because the, the tax that was put on those LLCs was found to be unconstitutional. But then they figured out how to do it in a way that was constitutional. What it is, is please be sure if you have an LLC, there's a gross receipts tax, uh, starting if you have more than $250,000 of gross receipts 
you start having to pay this this tax. It's five hundred thousand, two thousand, uh, six thousand. If you have over a million, as I recall, there's a grid. Be sure you go look at it. And the whole point of that was to try to replace this S corp tax that was going to be lost when people ended their S corps and ran over to become a limited liability company. So you have your minimum tax of eight hundred dollars. You have your LLC tax on gross receipts and. Uh, and then clients get into it with me. Well, let's try to figure out the exact trade-off between being an LLC and being an S-Corp and what's the break-even point. And, and you can spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out how to save your client $500. And then we send them a bill that's what, much more than that and say, see, this was ridiculous. Just make a decision and uh, let's keep moving. But the more important issue with the LLC is that it is uh, usually, if it's one person, it's a single-member LLC. And it will just be deemed to be uh, that income will flow through right to its owner unless you make an election uh, under federal tax law, which the state of California conforms to. It abides by that federal election. The thing I want to talk about it here today is that, well, let's say you have two people involved in that LLC. Well, there's a default rule. That is instantly a partnership. That's a partnership. So you had a limited liability company. Uh, you do get the limited liability uh, provided by state law, but keep in mind you if you don't file an election to be something else, uh, you're a partnership, have to file a form 1065 every year. Now, 1065s have a large amount of responsibilities that uh, the owners have to worry about. Uh, they have to file a, a partnership return, and um, on that return, you have to uh, compute the, uh, the, the entity level income so all your gross income comes in, you have all your expenses, you get a net number, all right? And there's a lot of tax adjustments, so with things that are separately stated, we won't go through all that. But uh, on the partnership return, it has a Schedule K-1. That K-1 goes to the individual partners of the, of the partnership, and those uh, partners pick up on their Form 1040, their individual income tax returns for both federal, and you have to do it also for state. That's what they pick up on their personal return. So the partnership has to file as an entity, Yet, its income flows through on the K-1s, and the K-1 income is actually reported on the Form 1040 uh, with everything else going on on the Form 1040 for those partners. All right, so far, so good. You set up your LLC. You say, I'm going to be a partnership. You know about your $800 minimum tax. You know about your um, LLC tax. If your gross receipt's too high, uh, those payments are deductible, by the way, against your federal tax. So that's, uh, that's good. You get some benefit on that. But you really didn't take into account that this thing is a partnership. Now, a lot of startups lose money the first few years. No big deal. They'll just lose money. Hey, you know, we, we really haven't filed our tax return. We'll get to it later. Uh, we have losses. We can't possibly owe any tax. Big mistake. Big mistake. Big misunderstanding. So um, when, you file, when you have a partnership return obligation, even if you're losing money, even if you're in the startup mode, even if you, you, haven't, even, you're, you haven't even completed building out your business or, or if you're building a, 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 you know, a location. And you're, you're, so you're just, all money's going out, no money's coming in. How could I possibly have to do much of anything? How could I possibly owe any tax? Well, you do. You do. The federal government and the state government want a partnership return filed for that LLC each and every year it exists, even if you think you don't. You do. And the penalties can be severe. I'll just read from you, uh, to you, the penalty for, this is the federal rule for late filing. The California rules are similar. Uh, penalty is assessed against the partnership if it is required to file a partnership return and it, A, fails to file the return by the due date, including extensions, or B, files a return that fails to show all the information required 
unless the failure is due to reasonable cause. And that reasonable cause is like a hurricane or a heart attack or some really, really, really stressful, terrible situation. It's not, I just forgot. The penalty is $205 for each month or part thereof to a maximum of 12 months. Okay, well, that can be a lot of money. The, the, the failure continues. Multiplied by the total number of persons who are partners in the partnership during any part of the partnership's tax year for which the return is due. So you thought your company wasn't making any money. It wasn't a big deal to file a partnership return. You let two or three years go by when things are starting finally to get going and you have $10,000 of penalties. And it's almost impossible for those to go away, but we're not finished. Failure to, uh, to, uh, failure to furnish timely information. So as I mentioned, that partnership return has to be filed and a Schedule K-1 has to be sent to the partners. And if you don't do that, there's an additional penalty. Again, you're losing money. You can't conceive in your mind why anything would be owed or due, but you didn't do this paperwork. For each failure to furnish K-1 to a partner, when due, and each failure to include on Schedule K-1 all information required to be shown. There's like 50 lines on complicated partnerships on these K-1s. Usually people have five or six lines they have to fill out. A penalty of $270 uh, will be imposed for each K-1 for which a failure occurs. Uh, so again, you get two or three partners. Um, all of a sudden, there's another four or five thousand bucks over a couple of years. And I just wanted to point that out because again, the the, the misunderstanding is people come to believe well, I'm not making any money. Everything's going out. Out. We just are just starting starting uh, going here. How could I possibly have to file? And how could I possibly owe anything? There there are a lot of situations where the penalty is a percentage of the tax due. The penalty is the percentage of the tax due. So if the tax due is zero, in your mind, you say the penalty is zero. Not with these partnership filings and not with these K-1s. You can owe absolutely nothing. You could have a loss and the penalty can be substantial. Okay, well, so um, as you can imagine, uh, people get a shocker when they figure this all out or they file that first partnership return and um, it's late and uh, they get a hi, how are you letter from the IRS and the... Uh, California Franchise Tax Board assessing all these penalties. Again, those penalties I mentioned for federal, they are smaller for California, but they're somewhat duplicated. So again, you, you forget or don't think you need to file a partnership return for three years. It's $10,000 easy, easy in penalties. Almost no way to get, get around it. Well, there is a relief provision uh, under Revenue Procedure 84-35, and I've used this a number of times. You're a small partnership. You and your friends got together. It's a small restaurant. Um, you, you, you tried to work everything out. You tried to be, do everything, but you were three, four months late. And then you did the, did the, uh, but the partners were on extension. So when they got their K-1s, they filed their returns on time. There's less than 10 partners in this partnership. And then three, four months go by and you get all these penalty notices. Well, you can invoke uh, revenue procedure 84-35 and get a, a waiver of these terrible penalties that I just mentioned. Uh, usually one time. <laughs> the IRS has a number of programs, uh, uh, first-time abatement programs, and this Revenue Procedure 84-35 is part of it. It was an acknowledgement by the IRS that uh, a lot of people starting a business for the first time, even if they go and hire a CPA and everybody's running around just trying to survive and get the business going, the returns get filed late, and, and, and can't, we, can't we not hit them with you know thousands and thousands of dollars if, if ultimately by the time the extension is, uh, is done and everything, the individuals 
did file their returns on time. They got their K-1s and so forth, but the partnership just wasn't uh, sorted out or, uh, and so forth. So uh, it gets very technical. There's a number of examples under the revenue procedures. I've used it successfully. But again, this is not, so that's the, that's the thing. There's a short-term mistake. It's great for that. Once, then they keep track. You try to pull this, you try to invoke it again the next year. They say, well, we gave it to you last year. You're supposed to learn all the rules in the first year and not make the same mistakes the second year. They won't give it to you, right? Um, I was talking to an enrolled agent who had made a decision that, well, this revenue procedure really means I don't need to file because, and he didn't file for 15 years. Because when, I, when, when this does come up, I'll invoke revenue procedure 84-35 because I'm a partnership of less than 10 people and I'll get my penalties waived. And uh, as we were going through that, we said, yeah, maybe, maybe for the first year. And now it's way too late. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to give you a, a pass on uh, something that happened 15 years ago. So people read things and it says, oh, I'm less than 10 people. If this ever comes up, I'll invoke this and the penalty will go away. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's for a very short term mistake. Uh, and so know that LLCs, where I'm trying to go with all this, LLCs are dangerous. It, uh, the state of California uh, is constantly announcing, uh, uh, um, and people are talk within the community about how somebody set up an LLC. Oh, that never got going. I never paid my $800 minimum tax. Um, I just didn't use it and never got going. And I never got back to the Secretary of State. I never dissolved it. I never filed anything with the Franchise Tax Board. And they get a letter years and years later that says, oh, welcome, uh, you owe us $800 times 10 years times interest and penalty, and this is a $15,000 pro uh, problem. And you have no reasonable cause, uh, you just uh, didn't know. And didn't know is not an excuse. Uh, now, there are, there are, there's a Rainbird case, and there's some other cases where, well, remember, it's not you, the individual, that is owed that owes that tax, it's the limited liability company. And if you've already, and you just go bankrupt it, you write the FTB a letter, well, you can um, hit the credit of the LLC, but I've already not doing anything with that. Uh, now, I am not recommending that. I am not recommending it. I always recommend that you dissolve entities correctly, you get all the taxes paid up to date. Often you have to revive these LLCs because the Secretary of State has um, uh, forfeited your right to do business you forfeited it. They just uh, record it. That if you didn't pay your $800 minimum tax, you didn't make your Secretary of State filings, uh, and they don't get a California tax return, a Form 568 or a Form 5, uh, 565 for the LLC, uh, the FTB talks to the Secretary of State, says, we ain't got nothing. And the Secretary of State says, well, they forfeited their right to do business. So if you ever go look at it on the Secretary of State, says, oh, five years ago, you forfeited your right. They have a trick here that says, uh, and it's common in many states, it says, you want to dissolve this entity now. That's great. Good. Okay. You're going to, and you, let's say you have a pile of money and you want to do everything right. Okay. So you say, I owe you $800 a year plus the penalties, plus the interest. Okay. I have my CPA or my tax preparer fill, do all the forms, sign them, fill them out, send in all the money. I'd, I'd like to dissolve this entity, file my final return. Uh, you're not crying about the money because you're rich. You're super rich. You just want this to go away. Secretary of State says, no, no, no. You have to revive the entity first and get it back in good standing. And then, only then will I let you dissolve it. And that's how the state protects themselves uh, to make sure they get what they're entitled to. So if you want the name and the credit of the LLC uh, cleaned up, 
Uh, you have to file maybe 10 years worth of information statements with the Secretary of State. You've got to file with the Franchise Tax Board. You have to pay all the interest and penalties. Uh, uh, if it was a partnership, uh, you know, with two people involved, uh, you'll have all those other uh, uh, non-filing penalties I, I mentioned. And then finally, you'll get the word from the Franchise Tax Board, you're good with us. Then you'll get the word from the Secretary of State, you're okay with us. And then you file literally a one-page piece of paper, sign it, date it, and go do it with a lawyer. I'm not telling you to do legal work. But you sign and file a one-page piece of paper saying this thing is, is dissolved. And then it is taken off the records uh, as being an entity uh, to do business. In uh, the state of California, Arizona has similar rules. I believe Nevada has similar rules. New York and New Jersey have rules that are even worse. Oh, my gosh, don't do anything in New York and New Jersey without advice. They... They are uh, have um, you know they view themselves as a sovereign country and have a whole set of bodies uh, body of law on how to do all this and they are serious as a heart attack in doing it. So um, keep in mind, you set up a little LLC for fun with you and your buddy. You were losing money like crazy. Didn't think you had any responsibilities. A couple of years go by and um, you are in a lot of problems <laughs> with penalties, interest, Secretary of State, State of California. There might be some uh, local tax uh, issues uh, with the with the county. If you had any property, you had to file a 571L and so forth. And uh, I hope that information is helpful. Uh, there is a penalty relief provision, but it only works if you figure out you're in trouble quick and file that in the first year. Okay. All right. A lot there covered. All right. So um, identity theft. I spoke in the prior podcast a great deal about the terrible situation going on with um endless phone calls they call me you know we're sending the police to your house you haven't filed in five years get out your credit card and pay us x amount right now often there's situations where people get their their tax returns stolen uh i will say this as nicely as i can uh things going to the u.s mail are often not secure and there's i can say it publicly because it's been in the the, the news that uh there's, there's uh, every time this time of year, you know, February, March, April, um, a slew of people from the post office get arrested because they have been stealing tax return information and tax returns out of the mail, going back and forth from repair, preparers or to the Internal Revenue Service, and they give it to nefarious people who file very bad things with them. Um, and your identity's been stolen. And usually what happens is you file a return and you ask for a $3,000 refund and months go by, and you go to the IRS website that says, where's my refund? It's really good. Put in name, address, a couple of identifying pieces of information. The IRS will say, ah, we got your return three weeks ago. Uh, we're almost done processing it. We have no disagreement with the amount of refund you claimed. And if you don't get this in about three weeks by this date, you know, come back, check again with us. And if it if time goes by, then uh, uh, give us a call, right? And they have a whole team because... You know, uh, I'll go off on a rant here. The only re reason our tax system survives is because 85% of the population files a fairly simple return and they get their refund very quickly. If, if that didn't work well, you'd have people in the streets with pitchforks and bats and guns and <laughs> because uh, that system has to work well. People depend on those refunds. A lot of them use them to live on them. A lot of them use them to pay their real estate taxes here in California. It comes due on April 1st. Um, that has to work well. And it does. It does. If you have a simple return, file everything. It's usually uh, if you e-file, you'll get your refund in a couple of weeks. 
uh, sometimes even quicker, if, as long as everything works off. You f- mail in a paper return. Uh, the the, the pro- protocol says they get 60 days. Sometimes it goes a little longer, but they're pretty good. And you get the you know, check in the mail, and you may have signed up for automatic deposit and so forth. But now, four months have gone by, you didn't get your refund. And you go to where's, where's my refund on the IRS website. That's irs.gov. Type in where's my refund. You very simply get to it. And um, they say, we don't know what you're talking about. We, we, we have nothing. Uh, there's, they have a more articulate answer. But, but it's very clear that your return that you filed four months ago is not in the system percolating away, uh, especially if it's e-filed. That's way too long because that should have been resolved in weeks, not months. And if you paper filed, you know, you probably have to give it two or three months. But let's say six months have gone by. You got to get on the phone. You got to call them. Then you call some at the IRS and, uh, and they start tracing through and they say, well, your refund check was cashed. Or um, uh, when you put in the where's my refund, you become aware that, um, again, it doesn't know you because, because some of the information you put in on the return you're filed doesn't match up because somebody filed a return for you two months earlier. And there's whole gangs that they talk about. These people, uh, I don't know how they do it, working in, in the jails. They get supplied information, send stuff in. Uh, they don't seem to have an ethical problem <laughs> with, with doing that. And somehow somebody's able to cash a check. Uh, so you find out that you've been hit. You got it. Now, I mean, they got you. Uh, and then you are immediately uh, uh, transferred to another division of the IRS. Uh, the moment you say fraud or identity theft, the regular guy says, okay, wait a minute. And you go to the special division that has all these investigatory tools to track down what's happening on your account. Um, uh, where was the check sent? Uh, they'll actually go back. How was the check cashed? And uh, they do track down bad people and put them in jail for stealing someone's, uh, filing a fake tax return for somebody. Um, well, they've, they've, uh, they've, this has been growing and growing and growing because unfortunately the problem is, is growing. So the IRS has launched an aden- identity theft central. I love when bureau- big bureaucracies, excuse me, start getting into marketing techniques on things that are really, really serious. The IRS launched Identity Theft Central, a new website devoted to identity theft and data security for taxpayers, tax professionals, and businesses. Available 24-7, the site provides resources on reporting identity theft and and guarding against phishing, online scams, and more. Uh, Specifically, the site 1 lists the steps to take if you become a victim of identity theft. 2 summarizes the responsibilities of tax professionals under the law and three instructs businesses on how to recognize signs of identity theft of which I just spent a few minutes talking about. Also page features videos on key topics. So anyway, you've been hit somehow they got your stuff. They got a refund and immediately the IRS gives you a special identity theft code number for that you have to put on your tax returns going forward in the future. So this is an addition to your social security number, your address, but you have a special number and that's somehow, so then they know if somebody else files a return using your name and social security number, which they obviously have, if that return doesn't have your special identity theft number, it's not you. And that's one way they try to get in control of it. Uh, this, this is really a heart-wrenching. If anybody, if you've had your identity theft stolen with regard to credit cards and so forth, it's, it's heart-wrenching and the things you got to go through. Uh, first of all, you know, uh, you have to argue and, and convince the IRS that you're the one telling the truth. And you aren't lying to them, and, and then it's not too hard, but they'll go through it and make sure that you aren't the criminal, you know, <laughs> and um, give you a special number. 
uh, then they'll start tracking down who did cash your refund check. And they don't tell you much about that because that's a secret prosecution pro- thing that they're going through. Unfortunately, way too many people who do this just get away with it. And they get away with it because the IRS does not have enough resources to track this stuff down. So they start focusing on how do we get you back in good shape? And the bad guy gets away with it because they just don't have the time or money to uh, track it. Just like people who steal your credit card number, your bank will often just make an insurance claim, pay you back, and uh, never prosecute because it's too hard. It's too hard. It's really, really sad. So um, I do want to talk for just a quick minute here about um, security here, uh, you know, for preparers. So we all remember back in the old days, we, uh, you know, the miracle of the Internet came about. And wasn't it wonderful? Oh, you have to put in a password. And you put in a password. Uh, it was usually, you know, kid's name. <laughs> um, um, uh, not to get too political, but John Podesta at the Democratic National uh, Committee got in big trouble during uh, Hillary Clinton's, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's campaign because uh, Mr. Podesta's password that protected all the uh, top-level, high-level security emails of the Democratic National Committee was the word password. That was his password, the word password. And some smart hacker figured that out. So now, okay, well, I mean, even this was before the Podesta episode, you know, first it was letters. Okay, now we got to do better. We have to have letters and we have to have numbers. Okay, now we have letters and numbers. Oh, now we have to have uppercase and lowercase. So uppercase, lowercase, letters and numbers. Oh, not good enough. Letters, numbers, uppercase, lowercase, and symbols. Okay, stars and ampersands and like explanation points. Okay, so, so this is all happening, right? The hackers not picking on them from Nigeria, from Russia, from, from um, um, Ukraine, whatever. They're, they're, these are all happening. Microsoft is putting patches on the systems, trying to keep up with these, uh, these attacks. Well, now we're at the point where, um, uh, you, and then we had a firewall, right? So you went and bought a firewall so that only certain things could get in. So you have uh, letters, uppercase, lowercase, numbers, symbols, firewalls, <laughs> and then uh, Microsoft is putting in patches. Okay, not good enough. Now, <laughs> now we have things called multi-factor authentication. So you're doing all these things, letters, numbers, uppercase, lowercase, symbols, firewalls, so forth, uh, you probably have to go through uh, three different passwords just to log in in the morning to get going. Uh, and then you now have multi-factor authentication where by uh, the software company uh, at the request of the IRS now um, has you on your cell phone hooked into the um, software company so that even though you've put in your password, you have to go to your cell phone and the cell phone's talking to the software company through the cell phone system, not through the internet through the cell phone system, and you have to authenticate yourself with a password that changes every 30 seconds. <laughs> in addition to that, you've gone through all this and you're in your software working away, you're concentrating, you're feeling good about yourself because you're being a productive human being, helping a client with the, doing their tax work, and you go up and you go talk to your friend down the hall, or you go and grab some lunch, or you're just on the phone with the client. Every 30 minutes, your software turns off automatically because they don't want things sitting on your screen for someone to walk by and see. And so you have to go back and log in again and re-authenticate yourself. So that's the world we're going to. I, I, my, my cynical thing is, look, just put a chip in me. Look, you know, you know I've seen these videos where you have this fleshy part of skin between your thumb and your index finger, 
and they insert a chip, and that chip has a, a, a random number generator that changes every 36 seconds, and I can wave that uh, 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 past a reader on my computer. Just put a chip in me and let's be done with it because uh, what's happening, a lot of my peers I talk to, great frustration that we're spending so much time logging in and authenticating and re-logging in. It really is um, um, uh, getting in, in the way of doing the work. So just know that between the IRS and what all the tax term preparers are doing, we're trying our best until uh, this uh, multi-factor authentication somehow gets hacked, which uh, everything they do, they find something else. But so far, that seems pretty good because it changes every 30 seconds, and uh, and hopefully that will be good. Okay, so we talked about... Um, um, we talked about LLCs and we talked about partnerships and we talked about um, uh, security, the IRS's new identity theft website. And um, we have some other issues we'll go into uh, next week. Again, my name's Ron Cohen. I'm with the firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson and Company. And uh, you can call us if you need some tax work, you need some planning. Go to our website at www.groco.com. Phone number is 510 510- 797-8661 and we'll see you next week we'll talk a little bit about uh, captive insurance companies and a couple of other items of controversy with the IRS thank you very much and oh and again remember don't rely on anything you hear here unless you've gone and confirmed it with your own professional who you're comfortable with and who has reviewed all the facts and circumstances thank you very much <laughs>